Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back on into the Brews on the Balcony Football Midweek Show. I am your host, Zach Zook, and if you're new to this show, we talk all things NFL, and we're actually going to be getting a new name, and it will be announced after the Super Bowl. We're not just going to call it the Midweek Show forever. We're going to get a new name, and this is going to continue. This show will continue into the offseason. Um... My plans initially, just to be transparent with the audience, was to make this show go about year-round, because there really is no off-season in football. We might not go full year-round, may take like a month off in January, we'll see. But my plan was for this to go year-round, because at the conclusion of the Super Bowl, we have 30 days before free agency hits, and during that time, everybody will be uh, completing their evaluations for the draft, draft talk will really ramp up, uh, and deals are done before free agency in the new league year officially begins. Then you have free agency, then the draft, and that takes you all the way up to until, you know, May, you got rookie minicamp, so like... You get most of the springtime covered, and then there's just a little lull period where everybody kind of goes home, the players and coaches take vacations, and so we we may take a little break around that time, but the plan is to to have uh, off-season coverage uh, pretty much year-round on this show, and so I'm really excited to bring it to you. I know TJ and Nick are really uh, excited to have it on the network, and... Uh, we're just going to keep pushing out this content, whether it be brews, whether it be bras, whether it be uh, this show, uh, or whether it be biz. I mean, biz is taking off. So we have a lot of good stuff. Today on the show, we're going to talk exclusively Super Bowl 54. I have no segments. I have no other discussion planned. There is one football game left until September. So we have to talk about it in depth. We're going to cover it from every angle. I am going to talk until I'm blue in the face, and we'll see where that leaves us. I don't know if this will be a long show, a short show. I anticipate it being a little short. We're going to try not to belabor the point, but we want to devote as much time and effort as we can on this show to this game because after this game is played, it's all off-season talk from here on out, so no need to do that right now. But first, before we get into the podcast, we have to give a shout-out to our fantastic sponsors. We're brought to you by Cafe Telegraph, who hosts uh, the BOTB football show every Sunday morning from 10.30 to noon. That is on uh, Telegraph Road in, in South County, uh, right by the river there in, in St. Louis. Uh, fantastic place to uh, take, in a, take in a sporting event. The NFL Sunday, it's a great environment. You can come out, uh, join us for our show, and then we knock back a couple of cold ones with the listeners. We have fun watching all of our uh, fantasy teams lose and all of our predictions be incredibly wrong, and we just have a good time. It's the best smoked meats in town. Christian always fires up those wings for me. The par-fried wings are second to none. Cafe Telegraph is a great place to enjoy a game and a meal. We're also brought to you by Kay Roberts from Remax Gold. Kay Roberts, you can give her a call at 314-409, and I don't have the full number, so we'll get that next week. That is totally my fault. The bruise on the balcony difference right there. Kay Roberts from Remax Gold is one of the best realtor agents in St. Louis. Uh, she, she moved TJ into his new house she uh, does a fantastic job, extends her territory as far out as the suburbs, Lake St. Louis area, and she can find you great real estate at, at a fair price. Kay Roberts from Remax Gold, give her a call. And I, I had to cross over my phone. Got a new iPhone with the day job, with the social media job. So uh, 
yeah, just rocking the uh, iPhone XR. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. I don't like to brag about it, but maybe there's some issues. They didn't fully clone over all the data, so I apologize to Kay for not getting the number. We'll make sure we read that off next week. We're also brought to you by Nick's friends at STL Distillery on Freedens Road in St. Charles, Missouri. Uh, St. Saint Charles and STL Distillery uh, have have the best vodka in town. Uh, you can try their brew vodka, B-R-U vodka. You'll find it in the studio in the background of uh, TJ and Nick's show or their videos from the studio. Uh, it is distilled from craft beer, and it is excellent. I have tasted it now, and I can confirm uh, 10 out of 10 would, would try. So, uh, give that a shot. BRU. You head on into STL Distillery. Mention TJ, Nick, Big Web, myself, anybody with, uh, brews on the balcony, and you'll get a free tasting as well as a free tour. In that tasting, you can also try their Cardinal Sin Vodka, which is also a very popular product. You also need to go check out Family Finance Mortgage. We're brought to you by Family Finance Mortgage and Sarah Barron. Sarah Barron's number is 314-537-1282. She can help you refi on your mortgage or get one started. One of the best mortgage agents in the county, go ahead and give Sarah Barron a call. Again, that's 314-537-1282 for mortgage refi or to get one started. Let's get into the show. Okay, first up, I want to cover the Super Bowl from the aspect of both teams. I want to cover it from the aspect of the Chiefs, their strengths and weaknesses, and then we can move on into the Niners and their strengths and weaknesses. And what I think maybe these two sides have been game planning over the course of the last two weeks that they've had off. First up for the Chiefs, what is the, what has their philosophy been? What has their coach always done? When you think of Andy Reid, and we talked about this a little bit last week, what do you think his scheme really is? Because I don't think you can really put a finger on it. It's been so different over the years. When he had McNabb and Westbrook, it was different. When he had uh, Shady McCoy, it was different. Now when he has Mahomes, it's different. He had Tyreek Hill, it's different. Kareem Hunt, it's been different. He has altered his scheme to his players throughout his career. And I think if you had to put a put a finger on the philosophy of Andy Reid, it is getting his best players the ball. No matter who that is, finding ways to get his best guys touches, which I think is a really interesting philosophy because it's really the exact opposite when you think about it of what Bill Belichick's philosophy is. Bill Belichick's philosophy is scheme over everything. He does not care who he has to use to beat you. He can use James Devlin, the fullback, to beat you. He will use his third string running back to beat you. He will use his second tight end to beat you. He will use his third slot receiver to beat you. And that's what makes him so tough for fantasy sports is one week it'll be Edelman. The next week it'll be Mohamed Sanu. The next week it's Sony Michelle. This week it's James White. Then it's, you know, the third tight end on the roster. It's really tough to figure out for Belichick because he's one of the few coaches that has every tool in the back. He can diagnose a, a given team that week. Well, you know, how do I want to attack them? He scraps it. From, he builds from scratch the game plan each and every week, and each and every week it's completely different. Whereas Andy's game plan each and every week is, how do I, looking at the defense in front of me, get my best guys the ball in space to put them in position to succeed and score us points? And I think when you look at this Chiefs team, it's not very hard for Andy. He looks at, his, who's my best player? What's my biggest strength? It's number 15. It's Patrick Mahomes. So... 
I'm probably not going to run the ball very much. I don't want to take the ball out of his hands unless I know I have a decided advantage either in the numbers, with, with the box, uh, with the formation, with the look. I'm, not, I'm just not going to take it out of his hands because it would be stupid to do so. Who do you think his second biggest weapon is? Who, what's his second biggest strength on offense? Well, it's number 10, Tyreek Hill, knocking the absolute top off your defense. Or it's Travis Kelsey. Now, I think that they're kind of interchangeable, but the one thing they have in common is their pass catchers. So that further tells me, or tells Andy, again, why, do, why would I run unless I'm jet sweeping it to Tyreek Hill? I'm taking the ball out of the hands of my three best players. What's their weakness on offense? Well, it's probably either either the line or the running backs. They Now, since they don't have Kareem Hunt, it's Damian Williams. They have Shady McCoy still, but he's over the hill, shell of himself. And they have uh, Daryl Williams is, is the third back. But really, for the most part, and I don't mean this as an insult, kind of j- just, just a bunch of guys, right? There's no stars in, in the backfield for Kansas City. So the analytics people point to it and say, Andy is following the analytics. He understands the numbers better than anybody, and that's why he's doing that. I really don't think it's that so much as it's Andy always makes sure he gets, the, gets his best players the football. When they had Kareem Hunt, they had no problem running it. Uh, that Alex Smith year, I think, I, I see, I keep getting confused if Kareem Hunt was on the Chiefs last year or if that was two years ago now. But um, regardless, I'm sure you at home will correct me. Uh, but when he had Kareem out of Toledo, and now I think it was last year, it was 2018, and then he got suspended partway through the year. Um, but Andy was very effective at, at getting him involved in the offense and the screen game, and they handed it off to him a bunch. And even in the AFC Championship game, once they erased the 10-point deficit from the Titans and were able to climb back and get in the lead, there was some game planning Andy salting the clock away. So I think it's more of Andy just using the strengths of his team more than Andy's all of a sudden this pass-heavy guy. Because I just I don't think historically that's true or accurate. You look at them from the defensive side of the ball. That's clearly their defense. If you had to take the uh, the four units in this game, San Fran's offense, San Fran's defense, Casey's offense, Casey's defense, Casey's defense is clearly the weak link, right? Uh, the Kansas City defense, however, and this is why I think that they're, they're, they're better than they were last year, is because they have disruptors on the field now. And they had a little bit of this last year, but they have a lot more of it this year. The acquisition of D Ford, the acquisition of uh, sorry, no, they lost D Ford, but they gained Frank Clark. So you have Frank Clark coming off the edge. You have Chris Jones coming up the middle, and in the defensive backfield, you have the Honey Badger. Two out of those three guys were not on the roster last year, so they have more disruptors on the field. Now, I understand that Frank Clark and I and D Ford play the same position, can be somewhat interchangeable, but if, I think few would argue with you, and the dollars bared it out too, is Frank Clark has probably been a better player so far to this point in his career. He's been more available, and he has been a more complete football player. He's also become a leader on that defense, so... What the Kansas City Chiefs' weakness is, is clearly the defense, and in specific, it's the run defense. They are in the lower third of the league in that category, and they will have to try and find a way to slow down the Niners' rushing attack. So, if I'm Andy Reid and I'm game-planning this week for Super Bowl 54, this is the big one, and we have, I think, the two best teams in football in this bad boy, I think Andy looks at it and he says, 
okay, I'm going to turn the ball loose offensively. I know I'm going to need some points to score. And I am facing an offense that I think would like to run the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown something like like 20 passes in the last month of football. So I think that clearly Kyle is comfortable calling pass plays. I don't think that's an issue at all, but they want to run. They're going to try and run first. So I, I think that Andy knows that his defense is a bit limited in what they can do to stop the run. They have, uh, the linebackers are probably the weakest unit out of the three on defense, whether it's the defensive backs up front or the linebacking core. The linebacking core is probably weaker. You have Reggie Ragland, you have the Wilson guy in there, and nobody can really run and cover in the middle of their defense. Reggie Ragland has been kind of relegated to a two-down role, even a bench role at times, because he just can't run. And more and more in the NFL, that's what you need in the middle of that defense because you're in a nickel base almost all the time now anyways. And when I say nickel base, I mean five defensive backs. The base defense used to be a 4-3 or a 3-4, and then you had four defensive backs on the field. Well, now, however you line them up, you're sending a two-man rush. You pretty much have uh, one linebacker, maybe two, in the middle of the defense, and then you have a third safety on the field or a third corner, or maybe you have a a third safety and a third corner on the field. And so it's made the position more shallow, but it increases the athleticism on the field. So you need that linebacker to be athletic as well, or teams are just going to straight up take advantage of you in the pass game. And we've seen that happen to some of the slower guys, and that's why they phased out of the league, because guys like Alvin Kamara... Christian McCaffrey and some of these tight ends are just taking advantage of them in the pass game. So I think that's where Cincinnati's weak. And because of that, they're going to have have problems against Kyle's offense that can beat you in so many different ways. Uh, Chris Jones will have to come to play. Frank Clark will have to come to play. And ultimately, I think if you're Andy, you have to gamble on your defense, not completely stopping the 49ers because I, I just don't think that's going to happen. It's not possible. You have to hope to slow them down enough and maybe cause a few disruptive plays with your stars to make a difference in this game. That's Frank Clark getting a strip sack. That is Chris Jones standing up on a third and one. That is the Honey Badger reading Jimmy G and picking him off. Uh, that's what they're going to have to do defensively. And I think that's what Andy's gamble is going to be on. He's going to be say... We need to put this game on Patrick Mahomes' shoulders. We need to put this game in the hands of our offense. We're going to do things how we normally do. And this, I think, for Andy, is going to be a high-scoring game. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I think that's the game plan that Andy's going to go in with. And I think that's the one he's going to try and execute. You also look at schematically how the 49ers line up. And... They line up with a lot of zone coverage. I think a common misconception with some of these lockdown corners is that they're man-to-man guys. I mean, Revis Island, right? We talk about him, a famous man-to-man cover corner. Deion Sanders could do it all. Well, Richard Sherman and Josh Norman, two guys that have become pretty infamous, Richard much more than Josh Norman now these days, but they're zone corners. They're famous zone guys. And Richard Sherman, while he can travel, and actually did with Devontae Adams a little bit in the NFC Championship game, he, he doesn't typically. And he wants to stay on one side of the field and he plays zone. And he will beat you with his instincts because he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's very physical 
and he can play that zone defense with better anticipation than almost anybody. I think a lot of that comes from his Stanford background and how smart and cerebral he is as a defensive back. So what the 49ers do in that zone defense is they try to tighten the windows up and they try to beat you with their four-man pass rush. Robert Sala's done a really nice job of using the strengths of his team as well as Andy has this year. He knows he has Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Teron Armstead, Solomon Thomas, all these guys at the front level of his defense. Then he can blitz Fred Warner. He can blitz Drake Greenlaw. He can blitz Quan Alexander now that he's healthy. Big free agent pickup from the Bucks last year. And he gets pressure with those guys, and that allows his defensive backfield uh, Kwaski Tart, um, Richard Sherman, Emmanuel Mosley. It allows those guys to play their zone scheme, what they're comfortable in. Well, what do the Chiefs do really well? And I'm sure Andy sees this on tape. I'm sure he knew this the second they, that it was announced or that the 49ers drubbed the Packers and he knew that he was going to have to get ready for San Fran and not Green Bay. He knew, what am I going to do? I, what am I going to do to beat the zone? What, we, what do we do more than anybody in the league? And if you look at the statistics, a concept that the Chiefs have run more than anybody in the NFL this year is the run-pass option. What the run-pass option does is it basically eliminates the defense's ability to play zone coverage because Patrick Mahomes is going to read you in the zone and you either have to play your run responsibility or your pass responsibility. And it creates windows for the run-pass the run option to succeed. So what teams have to do to get out of that then, to get you out of your RPOs, is play man coverage, play combo coverage to beat that. So when the 49ers switch to man, they're doing something they're uncomfortable with, they're doing something they're not fully equipped to handle, and the Chiefs are then able to beat them. I would anticipate the Chiefs to come out heavy RPO early in this game, first quarter of this game. And if San Fran adjusts, then Andy will start scheming plays off of that to hit home runs to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill because there isn't anybody in the NFL that can match up with these guys man-to-man, particularly not the San Francisco 49ers who are comfortable in their zone scheme. I think Robert Sala is going to be very stubborn about switching to too much man too early. I think that he's going to want to keep everything underneath, and he's going to give them that RPO to a degree, and maybe try and just force the handoff on the RPO, because if he's forcing you to hand it off to Damian Williams, regardless if he has some success with it, I think that that's a win if you're the 49ers. So I'd expect them to be stubborn with that. I'd expect a lot of RPOs to be called. I don't know if that's a prop bet in Vegas, but if it is, I'd take the over. There's a lot of parallels, and I saw this from one of the analytics guys I follow on Twitter uh, of the 2018 Super Bowl to this 2020 Super Bowl between the Eagles and the Patriots. The Eagles also led the league in RPOs that year and, in fact, made it made the concept famous. It was really the first time it had succeeded to that magnitude in the league. And when they matched up against the Patriots, the Patriots were a team that was more multiple in defense than you'll see. We talk about that with Belichick all the time and their ability to transform, but they were a team that liked to play zone coverage as well. And uh, so what the Eagles were able to do then is force them out of that to play man coverage, and then they didn't really match up very well because they didn't have the cover guys that could cover up Philly man-to-man. And Nick Foles was able to take advantage of that and find guys like Zach Ertz, who is a matchup nightmare. He was able to find guys like Alshon Jeffrey. He was able to find guys like Nelson Aguilar, 
who was having a really good season uh, that year for Philly, and then they were able to lean on their defense. So I see a lot of parallels to that game in this game. I think that's maybe a bit of a stretch from what that guy said. I mean, obviously the Patriots are more multiple than any defense. I think Belichick can switch from zone to man, from 4-3 to 3-4 to the 46 bear, quicker quicker than uh, St. Louis decides to change the weather forecast. Uh, it's Robert Sala and the 49ers are not equipped to deal with that. So I think that they'll stay in their scheme and what they've what's got them to this point more than uh, more than the Patriots did because they were so multiple. You know something else that will be huge in this game and something else that I do from the Chiefs standpoint is I would I, I would get placed to the perimeter early on. Because you need to tire out the pass rush. I'd expect when they do run, when you're when you're running RPOs, make that handoff, the, the run side of it, have it be a perimeter run. Have it be a sweep. Have it be something that is going to extend the defensive line. The RPOs also kind of neutralize that pass rush for a little bit. So the Chiefs really match up pretty well because Bosa and Armstead and Buckner and all these guys aren't going to be able to get to Mahomes in time when you're running the RPO. It's a very rhythm play. It's very quick. They're going to have to get their hands up. And if you can maybe run some screens off that, have some success in the outside run game, you're going to make those defensive linemen run, and you're going to tire them out for the second half. So I think that's got to be a part of the game script as well for Andy. But uh, I think we've covered the Chiefs game plan sufficiently. Let's move on to the 49ers and how Kyle Shanahan sees the strengths and weaknesses of his team and how he will attack the Kansas City Chiefs. We talked a little bit about the Niners' defense and their scheme in the last segment while we were talking about the Chiefs and how they would attack the Niners. And that's really the biggest strength of this team. I know that Kyle's offense in the zone run has yielded great results for them. I think they hung 47 on New Orleans. They have put up points, I mean, quicker than shit. But it really is the defense that has taken them to their 13-3 and record, has taken them to two blowout decisive victories over NFC North opponents, the Vikings and the Packers. And it's the pass rush that has gotten them to this point. Nick Bosa, Buckner, Armstead in the middle of that defense when they do send pressure, it really has just completely stymied opposing offenses. And when you combine that pass rush with a fierce tight zone on the other side, it's tough to diagnose that very quickly. You need to come up with zone beaters that sometimes take time to develop, and you're unable to do that when a four-man pass rush is in your face as quickly as the Niners have been this season. And so I think that's that's A, the biggest strength for the Niners. It has been the second best defense in the NFL this year, make no mistake about it. And I think, at least for me, it's that that has flown under the radar. Because you knew the 49ers had the great pass rush, but when I started really diving into the stats come playoff time towards the end of the year, I was really surprised at, at just how good they had come out statistically. I mean, the Patriots were still number one, but this was the second, clearly, far and above, the second best defense right behind the Pats in the league. And so Kyle has a big luxury being able to play off of that. Because when you have a defense that doesn't give up a lot of points and makes life so tough on opposing quarterbacks, you really have a, a, 
a, a, a freedom to not have to press the tempo or press the pace or press your game plan. You can really let the game develop in front of you. You can stick with your scheme and uh, what you want to do philosophically, offensively, because you're not going to get blown out. Even if you start slow, your defense is keeping you right in it, so that way it affords you to run into that brick wall in the first half to maybe loosen things up in the second half. Not that the 49ers have ran into that many brick walls this year, but it definitely affords Kyle Shanahan the ability to stick with the run longer than I think some other coaches could because he has as good of a defense as he does. If I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm looking at the other sideline, we, we talked about this in the first segment too, the weakest link on the field in this game is going to be the Chiefs defense, in particular the Chiefs run defense. And Kyle knows that, and Kyle is going to try and beat it. In fact, it's so obvious, I wouldn't be surprised, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo coming off an eight-pass performance in the NFC Championship game, if Kyle draws up a couple of early RPOs, play-action pass plays. He talks a lot about using the pass to set up the run, which I think is a, a very important aspect of the run game that needs to be utilized more in the NFL. You, you don't use the run to set up the pass anymore. You use the pass to set up the run. And that's something that he did effectively at the beginning of that Minnesota game. And then he just he just blew the doors off of them on the ground. But I think in this game, we could see a similar game plan where Jimmy comes out firing, throwing quick slants to Debo Samuel and uh, Emmanuel Sanders, take a couple shots early, and then pound them with the run. There's also, I mean, this is he is really going to have fun looking at the vulnerability of the Chiefs defense because nobody is as creative in the running game as Kyle Shanahan is. I mean, you watch the pre-snap motions, and you'll see it on Sunday. The way he moves Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, around, the way he moves George Kittle around, and some of these backs and wide receivers, to find out what the defense is in, take advantage of it, force them to move to get the look he wants, and then run the play he wants, to just absolutely gash them, is just astounding. And it's something that only comes with the years of studying and being an offensive coordinator and being around the game that Kyle Shanahan has had growing up in the NFL under his dad, Mike, and running his scheme. So uh, I think the 49ers will take advantage of that. They will get theirs in the run game for sure. I mean, even if the Chiefs have some success stopping it like they did against the Titans, the, the, numbers, the numbers just don't add up. There's just too many vulnerabilities and deficiencies personnel-wise for the Chiefs to fully hem in the 49ers rushing attack for full quarters. It's just not possible, especially with as creative as Kyle is. He can get Debo Samuel going to the perimeter. He can use the zone game. He can pull his linemen better than anybody in the league or just as good. He can use that power when they get in close and when they need it. And uh, he really, really presents a nightmare for defenses because then as soon as you slow that down, which is hard enough, he's throwing these personnel groupings at you where he just simply has an advantage. He's just going to have mismatches all over the field because Kyle Juszczyk is one of the most underrated players in the NFL, a fullback that can catch the ball and mismatch your linebackers. He can beat your linebackers in coverage. You have another guy like George Kittle who can do the exact same thing. Think about this. Personnel groupings are talking about backs and tight ends. If we talk about 11 personnel, that means you have one back and one tight end on the field. If we're talking about 21 personnel, that's an I formation, right? Two backs, one tight end. 
Well, he can send these different personnel packages at you that would lead you to believe run. And how, if you don't know, how defenses determine their personnel is based on the personnel they see on the offensive side of the ball. Somebody will be up in the booth responsible for watching those numbers, knowing what position they play, and yelling in the personnel grouping. So let's say 85 and 44 off the field. Let's say they're in 10 personnel, one back, no tight end. And then you have four wide receivers on that play. Two of them come off. George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk come on. Well, all of a sudden, you're in 21 personnel, and you're probably going to be in the I formation under center. But there are so many different things that he can do to beat you because conventional wisdom says this is going to be a heavy package. Watch for the run. I'm going to put in my extra linebackers. I'm going to put in my extra beef. Then all of a sudden, they break the huddle, and they're still in the spread because their players are so versatile. And that is where I think Kyle will really have a field day against this Kansas City Chiefs defense because they're not very deep. They're top-heavy in the sense that they have stars, but after that, they're really questionable. Bashad Breland is going to play a big role in this game, and he can be had. He was on the Packers last year, ended up not being brought back. He's really been quite the journeyman since uh, his days in uh, Washington with the Redskins have concluded. And there are guys like that all over the field for Kansas City. One guy who stepped up and become a leader has been Daniel Sorensen in the defensive backfield with Tyran Matthew. But he's another guy that, for as, as good as he's come on as of late, and as much as I love the dude personally, he has deficiencies athletically, more of an overachiever, as he would be referred to in the scouting community. So... The 49ers, I think, will take advantage of, of, of those deficiencies, of the Reggie Raglins, of the Brelands, of the Sorensons that are on that Chiefs defense personnel-wise, and I expect them to get theirs. Uh, if I'm Kyle, I think that I, like I said, I think I, I start out maybe doing some quick game. I do some jet sweeps. I do something unconventional because I think everybody is expecting the 49ers to come out and just try and slam it down the Chiefs' throat because of the mismatch they have there. And I think that that's a little predictable. And I don't think that Kyle's going to do that because that's what we all thought they'd try and do against Minnesota. And what do they do? Passes down the field. Bing, 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 boom. Then they slammed it in. And then they they just kept the, the Vikings on their heels the entire game. And I think that's going to be the plan in the script coming out for Kyle Shanahan. Again, I could be totally wrong. But I think that's going to be his plan offensively. And then defensively, He's just going to let Robert do his thing. I mean, we already kind of talked about what the 49ers would do defensively in the first segment. I think he knows that, that again, uh, similar to how Andy knows he's not going to be able to shut down Shanahan's offense the whole time, I think Kyle knows that Patrick Mahomes is going to score some points. And I think that both coaches are expecting points to be scored in this game. It's not going to be a repeat of, of the Pats and Rams a season ago. It's just not. I mean, there's going to be points scored. These, these two offenses are just too good, and it's going to be a really close Super Bowl. Uh, man, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the third segment and give our, give our final breakdown of the game and our picks, but it, it's going to be a good one. So I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I am going to give my pick today and give you why, go in-depth. We've talked about what we think the game plans are going to be, how we think this game will play out, and now I'm going to go through who I think has the advantage in this one, who I'm going to pick, and ultimately the type of game I think it's going to be. At the end of that last segment, I was talking about how I think it's going to be a good game. I really don't see either of these teams getting blown out. 
I think both sides have too much firepower and that if one team falls behind the other, they'll be able to catch back up. I would be more worried about the Niners not having the firepower to catch up than the Chiefs for obvious reasons. Uh, CC the AFC Championship game and the divisional round. Uh, I mean, you can get up on the Chiefs 14-21-0. It don't matter. They're going to come back and make it close. Now, maybe if they get down big to the 49ers early, they don't come back to win the game. But I promise you, even if they start getting roasted early on, they're going to they're gonna make adjustments and they're going to score points and they'll get back into it. I mean, Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're just, they're just too good. Um, so I really don't see it being a blowout either way. I think the 49ers' defense is too good for it to be a blowout and for Patty to just drop 50 on them. Uh, and if Patty does drop 50, I think that the 49ers can answer. I really do. I mean, you're talking about a team that put 47 up on the road against the Saints. I mean, this team can win in multiple ways. And the Chiefs have proven that they can too. They can play from behind. They can play with the lead. They can play a close game. They can play a high scorer. They can play a low scorer. Uh, they've both of these teams have proven that they've been able to do it in, in multiple ways, and that's that's a big reason why both of these teams are here. But as I said in the preseason, I think the Chiefs are the best team in football, and I still think that. I think the Chiefs are going to win Super Bowl Fifty Four, and I think that they have the advantage in this game for one reason and one reason only. They got number 15. I think that Andy is starving for a World Series, or, jeez, a World Series, a Super Bowl, and I think that the sense of urgency on the KC sideline is going to be a little higher than it is on the San Francisco 49ers sideline. I hate to draw this comparison because I don't think it's entirely fair, but I think that there's a little bit of uh, Sean McVay going on with the the Shanahan staff, I mean, they're, they they just got to be psyched to be there. I mean, they just have to be. Now, Kyle is like more of a stodgy coach than is Sean McVay, who's really progressive, players coach. I, I've heard that Kyle can be a bit stern, a bit intense, kind of a jerk at times, so I'm sure he has them focused. But just the, the temperature in the room, and I think that the mood in that building has got to be after what they've gone through, struggling for the last three seasons, the injuries, all the losses that they've had, in Santa Clara, just the, the pageantry of being in the Super Bowl, I think, has to be a win in and of itself in addition to playing and trying to win the game. Whereas I think for the Chiefs, they don't give a shit about any of that. They're out for blood. They're out for a Super Bowl 54 trophy. For, for Andy Reid, he needs to get it done as a head coach. He, you know, was on the Packers staff when they won, has made it with the Eagles, but he needs to get that ring. And I think that after being heartbroken in the AFC Championship game last year, I think that that entire roster is is highly motivated to win this game. And I think that, honestly, from a personnel standpoint, they're clearly a little worse than the 49ers, but I think that they match up with them really, really well. So despite their deficiencies, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think they can overcome that with uh, their offense. And I think that the 49ers are clearly the most talented football team in, in the NFL alongside the Ravens. I don't think that's up for debate at this point. They have an incredible defense and an incredible offense. While the Chiefs have an incredible offense, maybe higher end than the 49ers offense and not that good of a defense. But again, because of what the Chiefs do well, I think that they match up They match up very well against a 49ers defense that is big and physical, but maybe not as athletic at the back end as they need to be to slow down this Chiefs team. I do think they can slow down 
Travis Kelsey a little bit because where they are athletic is up front and in the front seven, uh, specifically the linebacking core. It's one of the best linebacking cores, probably is the best linebacking core in, in pro football. With the emergence of Dre Greenlaw this year and Fred Warner at a, at a BYU, I believe, and getting Quan Alexander back from injury, all three of those guys kick absolute ass. And so they, I think, will be able to run with Kelsey and and slow down these backs a little bit. But it's out on the perimeter is where I think the Chiefs are going to win this football game. I don't think that they're going to be able to slow down Tyreek Hill. You have Sammy Watkins. We haven't even mentioned Miko Hardman or some of the other burners on this team. They have weapons that can beat you all over the place. And one of their favorite formations to run is that trips look where they'll put three of the, all three of their fast guys on the front side of the formation and then put Kelsey on the backside. And it's just so hard to cover because it's you're almost always going to have to play zone to the front side of that. And so it makes it predictable for Patrick and Andy. And then he's able to beat you with the speed. It, it's oftentimes Hardman, Hill, and Watkins. And they'll run a route combination that'll make your brain hurt. And then they'll get over the top of your defense or find the hole and they'll pick you apart. And so I think that the Chiefs have an advantage so much so offensively that I just, when it comes, I think this game's going to be close. And at the end, I trust the Chiefs passing offense more than I do the 49ers because when it gets close to grit time and it's going to be in this Super Bowl, I ultimately trust their passing attack way more than I trust the Niners. For as as good as Jimmy is and as good as the weapons they have, I mean, don't forget, they have Kittle too. They have Emmanuel and Debo Samuel as well. They have weapons on the outside too. But I think that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't anywhere near on the level of Patrick Mahomes. I think that the the 49ers are going to try and try and maybe combo if they come out of that zone a little bit, maybe play a little uh, two-man under to try and put safeties over the top to slow down those deep shots that uh, that Patrick Mahomes likes to take to these guys, but then you you open yourself up for Kelsey over the middle. So you always have seven and five, right? There's only five people that Casey can send in the route. There's seven guys that you can drop back in coverage, assuming you rush four. So you have two extra men, and in theory, you can double two receivers, but I think just keeping safeties high at all times has to be a priority. Because if you double Tyreek over the top and then you try to bracket Kelsey, they'll just simply put Sammy Watkins over the top or Miko Hartman over the top. It doesn't matter. So I think that if I were Robert Sala and they start killing me with the RPO and I have to switch up out of my zone defense, I go two-man under and I let you have the stuff underneath if I get beaten man coverage, but I make sure I don't get beat by those burners because you know Patrick Mahomes wants to sling it. Ultimately, I just don't think the 49ers can match up there. I think that they will score uh, enough points to to make this thing a very competitive game. In fact, I think that the 49ers might even get up early in this one, uh, similar to what has been the case throughout KC's playoff run. But ultimately, I think in the second half, the Chiefs are going to to come out on top. And I think that they will be able to prevail. I think that they'll be able to uh, cause enough negative plays for San Francisco with the disruption of Frank Clark, with the disruption of Chris Jones, and some of their impact players to make enough big plays. I mean, if there's anything Jimmy Garoppolo has been susceptible to this season, it's been the interception. 
So if they can force him into a couple of bad plays, that's enough for the Chiefs. I mean, just make a couple of big impact plays on defense, and then you can give up the points. That doesn't matter. Let's just give a couple of tie-turning plays to our offense and let them work. I think the Chiefs will be successful in doing that. I think that the 49ers are going to go home the losers in this one. I have this Super Bowl as 31-27 to Kansas City Chiefs. So thank you guys so much for following us along. The next time you hear from me, we'll have a Super Bowl champion. We're going to go over the game in great detail. And then we're going to move on to the, to the offseason because the, the NFL offseason is one of the most exciting offseasons in, in sports. A lot is made about the hot stove. But I tell you what, that shit's overrated these days. I mean, with the deals and everybody dragging their feet, shit is going to start flying and hitting the fan here almost immediately after the Super Bowl ends with these players and negotiating deals. We will have so much to talk about. But hey, we got to enjoy this one. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to the BOTB Midweek Show. It has uh, been a pleasure rocking with you guys this year. Excited to bring you year-round coverage. We're going to do in-depth draft coverage this year come April and even before that, breaking down the prospects. I will make sure you are the most educated podcast listeners when it comes to pro football and the NFL draft uh, uh, as they come. So thank you guys so much for your time. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you on Sunday morning for Super Bowl 54. Let's go!